This is the BAM School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. Hi there, and welcome to the BAM School Podcast. I'm Buddy Rathmel, and I have a guest with me today, Scott Jacobson. Scott and I met online, and then we had a phone call last Saturday, and I thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast uh, just to talk about some of the things that he's involved in. Uh, thought it'd be a fun conversation. So uh, Scott has started a nonprofit uh, with his wife and some others in Indianapolis called the Sun Foundation, and we'll get into that. He is a CPA and is also part of a uh, real estate investing syndication, and we'll dive into that as well, and loves to travel and serve and a lot of the same things that I enjoy. So I just thought it'd be a fun uh, podcast to have him on. So Scott, welcome to the BAM School Podcast. Thank you, buddy. I uh, really appreciate the invitation. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation today because all the things you just mentioned are things I love talking about and love doing. So I uh, love, yeah. love to share some stories. Yeah. So give our listeners just a 60 to 90 second background on you, where you grew up, school, family, all those kind of things. Sure. Well, uh, let's see. Going way back, I, I'm originally from a, a small town um, grew up kind of on the intersection of two gravel roads in Northern Illinois, uh, surrounded by cornfields and bean fields. And, um, uh, when I time, came time to go to college, I went to, uh, Indianapolis. It brought me to Indianapolis, which is where I still live, uh, to a, a small private college called Butler university. I think I was the first one from my college or from my high school to go to that college. So I didn't know anybody, but it turned out being, um, one of, if not the best decisions I've made in my life, because it was an incredible experience, met some incredible people, met my wife there, uh, although we didn't, we met in college, but we didn't start dating until we were both uh, a year or two or three out of college. Uh, she makes fun of me for that because I had an opportunity to ask her out <laughs> when, she, uh, at some point during when we were both in college and I, I passed on it because I guess I thought I was too busy. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I've been married for almost 20 years. I think this year is 19 for, no, th no, I'm sorry. This is 20. We got married in 2024 or we got married in 2004. Uh, so this is 20 years. Uh, we got one child. He's 14 in high school. And as, as a family, we love to, we love to travel. That's kind of our, our thing when we have the opportunity to do so. Um, love watching my kid play sports and uh, just hanging out, good friends and family. So yeah, that's, so far that's me in, in a nutshell. Cool. So um, where are some of your favorite places to travel to or where are some of the favorite places you've been? Great question. Um, probably my best experience was out of the blue. I, I didn't, never thought I'd have the opportunity to study abroad, uh, but as a high school, I'm sorry, a college sophomore, I went to Australia for a semester, spent a little over five months there um, going to school. But uh, every opportunity I, I had, including every weekend but one and several one or two week trips during the, the semester, just got to explore the country, almost the entirety of the, the country. Met some incredible people, saw some great things. Um, what city were you based in? Uh, Townsville, which is okay. northeast corner, kind of uh, kind of off the Great Barrier Reef. So I spent a lot of time, I say kind of, because it's not easy access. It's like an overnight boat ride to get to the actual reef. But uh, I did spend a lot yeah. of time scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef um, and enjoying the sunshine nice. there. 
Yeah, we've uh, had the opportunity. Our, our family went to um, Australia once, and then I went back four times, either to teach or with students from my BM school, and always loved it. I say I really like Aussies because they're like positive, like New Yorkers, but they're kind, like people from Mississippi. So <laughs> I love it. That's I, a great, great description. Yeah, I, I loved my experience there. I, my son wants to go back, so it's it's, or he wants to go. Uh, yeah. so we may end up there again someday or yeah. maybe he'll get to study abroad My, like I did it's a great it's a great place language is easy you can uh, get around figure everything out so it's the flight that's a little bit uh, of a of a bugger getting there but I still remember uh, there was a girl um, as part of our group flying over there together we left on February 10th and because of the, you crossed the date line, we, we arrived on February 12th and her birthday was February 11th. <laughs> so she's like, I didn't get my birthday this year. But, she totally but it is, yeah, it's a, it's a long flight from the east eastern half of the U.S. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in real estate investing in the Indianapolis market. Sure. So from a professional standpoint, real estate is my, it's my passion. Uh, it started... Uh, maybe in a strange way, I, I'm, I'm a CPA and I started out out of college as uh, working at a, a big four public accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, back when there was an Arthur Anderson before the, the Enron yeah. debacle blew that up. But uh, the, the guy who was assigned randomly, I suppose, as my mentor, when we got together, we didn't talk about accounting. We talked about real estate because he was big into and still is uh, big into uh, single family rental properties. And so he was the first one that really kind of blew my mind because before that, you know, as a whatever I was, 22 year old, I literally had no idea that you could own a house or a building or anything that, that you didn't live in or work in. You know, I, I just, that wasn't yeah. part of my, my history at that point. So I remember driving around with him at, at some point. He's like, yeah, I own that house and that one over there is mine. And I just remember thinking like, how can you not be like screaming this from the, the rooftops? Like I would be so, uh, I don't know how I could control myself if I could point to a house and say, I own that, but I don't live in it. Right. And uh, so that was yeah. the first kind of uh, mind expanding opportunity that I had. So he was the first one that told me to uh, to think about it. Uh, there's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad that uh, many, many people have read, and at least in the real estate world. And, and that book literally changed my my financial life because it, it, it helped me realize that uh, uh, there's a great way to invest that involves real estate and kind of, kind of think of even the home that we live in, think of it differently, not necessarily as an asset, but maybe as a liability because it's it's our money paying for it rather than a tenant's money, you know, paying the right. the mortgage, that kind of thing. So. Um, I, I had kind of a similar experience when I was a kid. I was, I was probably 13 or 14 when I was at my friend's house and his older sister asked their mom if they could go to Paris to go shopping for the weekend. And <laughs> I was just like, you know, I understood people going to Europe to go on vacation, but like just to hop on a plane to go shopping for the weekend, I was like, that is a different level. And I knew they had like, they owned the first Woolworths building in Watertown, New York. And a big apartment complex and a house on a lake and a parking lot in New York city. And I knew real estate was like the thing that was funding this trip. And so when I was, I tried to buy a house in college and um, just 
for a number of reasons didn't work out. But as soon as I got out, I bought a small apartment building with my wife and um, was just like, yeah, real estate is a really good uh, way to go. You know, it's just like you said, if you do it right and it's an asset and not a liability. And like one of the cool things is like with the Internet, people are making ways where their primary home is still an asset, you know, like um, even ours, like we have a lady that lives above the garage that pays most of the bills. Um, when we bought that first apartment building, we lived in it. So we were getting a little cash flow, living for free, having the tax write off. Um, so there's ways even, you know, if, if you're smart that you can even make that first one an asset, which is just, it's really cool. And like you said, it just, it just takes a little bit of shifting your mind of like, okay, how do I do this? And that's cool that that guy and, um, and Rich Dad Poor Dad were that for you. Actually, my, my first job, I got hired into a company by Arthur Anderson, the consultant side, not the accounting side. Um, I was working for a fortune 500 and they like hired me into the company. So that was kind of fun to connect with them for a bit. Very cool. Yeah. So how did, so you had that mind shift. How did you, you know, a lot of people have that thought, oh, I should get real estate, but probably for every like 50 people that think it, maybe two people actually do it. So how did you go from thinking it to doing it? That's such a great point. Uh, and, and it's something I've thought of as well since then. I, I remember at one point I asked my, um, my mentor there who got me into thinking about real estate and he's since become a partner. We bought, uh, six or eight houses together. But, um, I, I, at one point I asked him, you know, how many, how many people did you, did you tell, you know, I'm certainly, I wasn't the only one that you suggested should go into real estate. And he said, Oh, maybe, maybe a dozen, give or take. And I said, Oh, that's awesome. How many, and how many of them are, you know, doing it? And he's like, well, I think you're the only one. <laughs> and, wow. and that really made me think, you know, wonder, you know, what, what was it about me? And I think it was, for me, it was, I've always had a little bit of the, the entrepreneurial mindset, you know, of, of when I was younger, I had the opportunity to have my own lawn service. Uh, at the time, my dad owned a, uh, uh, a lawnmower sales business and, and service business. So I had access to a, a lawnmower uh, and, but I, I took that business and I built it and uh, ran with it. And, and I loved it kind of being my own boss and set my own schedule a little bit. So um, when I found out that you could have real estate, it, it really just, it bit me. It was a bug that bit me. And um, the first house that I bought, I, I really just lucked into it because it was right next to the Butler University where I went to school. And uh, it was a friend of mine who was a pharmacy major, which is a six year program. And her dad had bought it for her to live in along with some friends while she was, you know, finishing up the last few years of her school. And when she graduated, she just, or her dad just wanted out of it, what he had into it. And uh, to his credit, he, he let me, uh, a 22 year old kid, <laughs> buy it from him. And uh, at that point I, I did just what you were talking about. I had some friends live with me. I was kind of house hacking before I, maybe before it was a thing, certainly before I knew it was right. a thing, but just, uh, helped yeah. me pay the bills and and I got to live there fairly rent free and uh, we had a lot of lot of fun you know living as as uh, young adults um, with a paycheck but uh, come home and we felt like college kids again because we were living on the college campus so um, but it was that and then I thought you know one is great I'll bet two is is greater and and if two yeah. is great then 
you know, four or six. And, and it was funny. I, I thought um, it would be more difficult to scale up a little bit. But in a lot of ways, I found that scaling up is a little, you know, having four or six houses was almost easier than one or two because, you know, you have a bad day or a bad month uh, on one property, the with a little luck, some of the other ones can can carry that load and, you know, make up for it. And uh, you get a little scale going. It, it's actually a little bit easier to, to manage. At yeah. least it was for me. And I did manage uh, them on my own. Yeah. And um, so were you a buy and hold? Were you flipping? What was your primary, you know, thing in real estate? Buy and hold. And I uh, tried to find opportunities where it was could buy and fix up and hold uh, yeah. to when you can guy buy kind of the, the ugliest house on the best block or, you know, a house that hasn't been updated in a few uh, decades. Uh, there's some opportunity there to come in, do the work and then uh, make it a lot nicer. And then from a rental standpoint, uh, it's pretty obvious. Then people are probably going to want to be willing to pay a little bit more to rent there, uh, to live there. Yeah. Right. So uh, right. that was what I did and, and buy and hold. I've still got uh, four of the first five houses I bought that I've had for almost 22 years now. Um, nice. uh, certainly to be sure some of them, uh, some of them I've sold over the years, uh, yeah. I've sold a lot more than I've kept, but, um, uh, it's always rent for a while. Never, I never got into the, just, you know, buy and fix up and flip within uh, a yeah. couple of months, that kind of thing I've always held. And, and I think there's a lot of tax advantages or there are a lot of tax advantages to, to do that as well. Not to mention the, you know, the passive, the cash flow on a monthly right. basis with a little luck. Yeah. Yeah, we were, um, I'm, you know, when I bought our, when we bought our first one, there were some things like, I didn't know as we jumped in, like I was 23, I didn't have anyone. I should have like had somebody older help me think through it. Cause, um, at the last, like the realtor had like folded closing costs in and I didn't know anything about that, you know, like just how they were operating everything. And, um, and so I, I left a little on the table just in the original buy, but it still was a great, you know, a great thing overall. And we had actually, we kind of contemplated, do we just do this for five years, like buy another building every year? Cause we were, we were both working and um, had really good jobs. And then we felt like at that time we were supposed to go to Japan. And um, <clears throat> so it's been interesting as I've come back to the States, I'm like, well, real estate is going to be my backup thing. Um, if business doesn't take off, but I, I just turned 50 a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, I don't know if I really want to get into, and we renovated the place that I'm in. So uh, we just spent a year living and renovating in, in the same house. So I'm like, I, I don't know if, if, if I want to do the, like, if I did get a place, I think I'd get a place already kind of uh, up to snuff that I could rent out right away. But what have been, I will say have been some of the hard things for you in real estate? Yeah. It's, that's kind of a, where I was thinking as well, I decided almost right from the beginning that I didn't want a, a second or a third job. So I've always thought it's worth my time and my money to, to hire out uh, yeah. when maintenance needs to be done, when renovations need to be done. I always have hired that out, A, because I'm not as handy as I wish I were, um, but my, my time is valuable as well to me. So I'd, I'd rather be being able to come home to, to my family or uh, back then it was hanging out with friends, but uh, I thought if I can pay someone else to do it, they're going to get down a lot quicker. They're probably going to do it a lot better. Um, right. And 
in, in investing and real estate kind of time is money as well. Yeah. So um, that was one kind of lesson learned that I, that I decided right up front, I'm not going to do the work. I'm, I'm going to try to make sure that they're self-supporting and yeah. uh, can hire professionals. Uh, but honestly, the, the toughest part for me is probably, maybe it sounds bad, but it's just the people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes tenants are great and we have a great relationship. Sometimes it's just no matter who, no matter what you do, you can't make people happy. So that yeah. maybe leads to the most stress for me is just trying to make sure because because I always have a, a mindset that I want to be able to drive by, whether it's a house or an apartment building, office building, I want to drive by and 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 be happy and be proud of, of what I see. You know, I, I don't want right. to, I'm not a slumlord. I don't have a stomach for that. Um, yeah. I, I want to be, uh, take a lot of pride in making it nice and I want people to really enjoy living there. That's, I think that's uh, important. So um, finding the right people uh, to live in there and then to, to make the houses nice, the apartments yeah. nice. Uh, that's, that's the biggest stressor for me is getting that right. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that's changed in the last 20 years is, especially right now in today's market, it's kind of hard to buy a house and make it cash flow as a single family rental, you know, like just right off the bat. So doing something different, like a lot of people are getting into, um, you know, Airbnbs or their mobile home parks or just something that's like, it's going to cash flow quicker, you know, better, um, and one of the things that that works really well, probably in Indy, I know it works well here too, is just rent by room where people take a house, make it nice, maybe nicer than it was. All the utilities are paid. The Wi-Fi is paid. And they come in either, you know, short-term rental or week to week or month to month or whatever. But then in Roanoke, the numbers are such that it's usually about twice the cash flow. Um on the same property. Your expenses are a little more because you're paying utilities and, and Wi-Fi and some cleaning. But um, I'm sorry, twice top line revenue, often like four times cash flow. And so I know a couple ladies here in Roanoke that are financially free with four homes each that are basically paid off or the mortgage is really low. But, you know, you put four or five people in a place that um, that are each paying a thousand a month, and you don't ha you know you don't have that much of a mortgage, and <clears throat> utilities aren't that high, and it doesn't take a whole lot. That one of them um, is in Costa Rica all winter, and she has a VA that kind of manages it. You know, people that come in and do the stuff, and so that was just kind of cool to see that like, okay, you know, things have changed. Everyone knows they should be in real estate. <laughs> Some people are jumping into it. And so there's different, you know, there's different ways that you can do where you don't have the stress of managing it or you are making more cash flow or, you know. And the cool thing with like Twitter and YouTube and books, like when we were, you know, when you and I were, were first thinking about real estate, it was like, yeah, some books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, no money down for the 90s. I remember when I was <laughs> buying my apartment building and, um, but I think like just a little bit of investment and knowledge and you can pick a path that's, you know, pretty good for you. So any and other like, thoughts on your personal real estate investing? For me, I just know it, it's been if looking back now, if I just 
you know, go straight from where I am to 20 years ago. Like I never would have dreamed that I would be here, you know, that I would have kind of made a, a second career, actually a, a better career financially out of the real estate than out of my being a CPA or yeah. I certainly I, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's a lot more fun to think about that accounting, to be honest. Um, yeah. But uh, it's just offered a, an incredible amount of opportunities that never would have you know, dared to, to think that I, I would have had, you know, 20 years yeah. ago, just getting into this. And especially when I think how, how random it seemed to be that I got assigned a mentor at a public accounting firm. And we didn't talk about accounting. We talked about real estate. So yeah. I owe, uh, I owe that person a lot for, for literally changing the trajectory of my, trajectory, uh, of my life. I just know it's been, yeah. it's been great for me, for my family and, uh, giving us a lot of opportunities. That's really cool. So tell me about the Sun Foundation. How did you guys, you know, how, how did you get that vision? Where did, where did all that come from? How did it get started? Well, first, actually, tell people what you do and then go back and tell me the, how you got started. Sure. The, the Sun Foundation is a, it's a, a 501c3 charity, you know, a full nonprofit charity that my wife and I started back in, I think it was 2012. And like a lot of like a lot of things, it was kind of born out of not necessity, but uh, out of a low point because at that point, my my wife was she was a teacher, a fourth grade teacher, and and she job shared uh, with her best friend, name is Tiffany, and uh, together they were fourth grade teachers. And about three quarters of the way through that school year, Tiffany was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer, had to take the rest of the year off, uh, or did take the rest of the year off, start going through treatment, trying to figure out what's what's going to be, you know, what's the path forward. And so my wife finished the year and then they both took us, the, the school corporation allowed them a sabbatical the next school year to figure out kind of for Tiffany, of course, to go through treatments and get better. And then uh, my wife was trying to figure out, well, what's she going to do now? Is she going to go back to teaching full time or is she going to go a different route altogether? And, um, at some point, she volunteered with the Ronald McDonald House here in Indianapolis, which is just a, it's a place where children who are patients can uh, can stay or the parents can stay while the, the children are in town for treatment. And my wife just she was volunteering there and, and she just asked a question that seemed kind of random or uh, innocent, like, are there any needs you see that aren't being met? And uh, the whoever was there giving their giving her the, the tour said, you know, we feel bad, but we get calls from adults quite a bit here asking if they can stay here and we have to tell them no, cause this it's for children. Uh, the children has to be, have to be the patients. So I remember we were just literally that later that night we were talking about it and, and she just kind of randomly flippantly mentioned that conversation and a light bulb went off. I think in both of our heads at the same time, at that point, I, you know, I had been uh, a real estate investor, had some rental properties for about 10 years. So, um, we both kind of thought at the same time, why don't we buy some real estate and let adults stay there? You know, and, and it was certainly it was fresh in our mind about about Tiffany and, and the, the cancer community. So that was a, a spot in our hearts for that community. So that was easy. Like uh, we're going to we're going to buy some buy a house, going to buy something and let cancer patients stay here while they're in town for treatment, because Indianapolis is a, a really good people come from all over uh, for to get treated here. Um, so that's how. That was the idea and it was honestly uh, it was real estate that helped make that possible both from a, a fact that a financial standpoint and from a you know we weren't 
we didn't know anything about the hospitality industry <laughs> that was brand new to us, but, uh, I knew how to buy a house and let other people live there uh, at that point. So, uh, that part wasn't scary. And we just, she mainly, she brought together a team of at that point, mainly just friends, uh, people in our lives. And, uh, we made it happen, formed the first board of directors, got turned it into an official charity. And, uh, it's, to date now, that was about 14 years ago, almost 14 years ago. We've served over, I think, 8,500 nights of, of free lodging that we've wow. provided to our guests uh, that have stayed there. Yeah. We we have a, it's a six bedroom, four bath house downtown Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, thinking back to that, that yeah. journey, like how it, where it came from. And you know, it was just kind of a, a light bulb moment that uh, it's been life changing for us, but uh, man, it's, it's so cool to, to read some of the feedback that we get from guests that say, I literally don't know what I, what I would have done without. We've had people that were living in their cars, uh, even in the wintertime, because they didn't, you know, hotels are expensive. Parking downtown is expensive. Going out to uh, restaurants, two or three meals a day is expensive, right? So having some place that looks and feels like home, uh, it's, it, I think it provides a pretty good service. Yeah, that's really cool. I I always love hearing stories of, you know, things where, um, yeah, people feel called to do something where they're serving others, you know, um, I think just that's really what, um, what just brings joy in life is like, God put something on your heart, doing it, doing something about it, making a difference in the lives of others. And, um, and it's cool that it's often something I mean, for me, when we started Stop Slavery, it was n nowhere in my wheelhouse, but I had lived overseas. So it was like, okay, like moving from Japan to Thailand, we're already three quarters of the way there. We'll just move to a different country, you know, <laughs> um, even though I, the work was like totally outside, but it was just, uh, you know, a call kind of like for me, I was just, I kept praying about it. Like, hey, God, you got to end this blight on humanity and one day i felt like god was like well if you want it to end why don't you do something about it instead of just praying about it and so i always love stories of people that have done something about it and so um yeah that website if anyone wants to check it out is sun foundation indie yeah, it was, dot it was... org and um you yeah you could support you could go stay there whatever but uh check that out if you have um, time any anything else that you'd like to talk about the Sun Foundation before we uh, jump into real estate syndication. Yeah. So, um, you know, for, for us, it's just been a great experience of, of being able to get outside of ourselves and think outside of ourselves of, of other people. And, you know, it's, it's so much bigger than we are like um, being able to provide that to people who they're at a low point, right? That's a tough season in their lives. And I hate cancer. I hate everything about it. Uh, but to be able to be just a little bit of a kind of a port in the storm for people that are going through such tough times, you know, my heart goes out to them when I have the opportunity. I was at the house just a day or two ago, um, talking to a couple different guests there and, and hearing their stories, you know, it's, it could be any of us, right? So for us to think, for me to think that, oh, well, that's them and, and I'm me and, uh, you know, that won't happen to me. Uh, it, it's just not true. Uh, discriminate. 
Uh, and when it does, I don't care who you are. Uh, if you have to quit your job or your spouse has to quit a job to take care of you or you know, be out of town for treatment, uh, it, it's going to cause some some stress, uh, emotional stress, certainly, but potentially financial stress. So that's that's what the Sun House, the Sun Foundation exists to do is to try to take at least that stressor out of people's lives a little bit so that they can focus on the most important thing, which, of course, is is getting better. Yeah, that's really cool. So uh, hard transition from that, like we we could end there, but I, um, I I'm personally intrigued by onward equity, and so um, yeah, just curious about what you guys do, and um, you know, we talked a little bit about real estate, but then talk about syndication, how that works, what you guys do for others, um, yeah, and maybe even how how that all started as well. Sure, yeah, it's, that's a. I love talking about that as well. Um, so, uh, as I said, I've for 22 years now, I've been a, a real estate investor, um, mainly had always done things on my own, you know, I, my own time, my own money, my own stress, but I, and I didn't have anyone else to answer to, uh, but also wasn't, didn't have anyone's besides, I told you my, my ex, my mentor, uh, we bought some houses together. So he's been a partner, but for the most part, it's been on my own. Um, but it was about, 2016, I was introduced to the idea of, of being a, a limited partner or passive investor in, in larger commercial um, real estate deals. And another mindset kind of mind blown time for me was uh, even after, you know, I thought it was a real estate investor, but after 15 years almost, I, I still had no idea how someone would go out and buy an apartment building, you know, a 100 unit or 200 unit or sometimes, you know, 40 or 50 unit apartment building. I figured you had to be either a, a, a billionaire yourself or, you know, it's just corporations that, that own these things. So um, I was introduced to that concept uh, in, and it's called the real estate syndication, which I learned in 2016. And, and at that point, again, my mind was blown. I'm like, you mean I can, I can invest my, my dollars, but into a real estate deal that other people are doing all the work and, and, I'm a CPA, so I did the math and like I can make almost the same returns, but let everyone else or someone else do all the work. This is amazing. Um, so I that was another kind of hard fork uh, in my mind and, and started really focusing on how do I be a, a passive investor in, in some great deals, uh, a limited partner. And and I did that for five or six years. And then like, you know, I, I would love to be on the, the other side of that, which is called the general partners. Uh, it's the group that does all the work. Uh, and then makes the, that opportunity available for um, for other people uh, to participate in uh, the investment. So that's what I've been spending a lot of my time and energy on the last couple of years. Is uh, that's where Onward Equity came from. That's the my company that I focus now on uh, trying to share with people that this opportunity even exists. Because, like I said, I had been a real estate investor for almost 15 years and didn't even know that that existed. Uh, until someone brought that to me, you know, everyone knows you can do stocks and bonds and mutual funds, 401ks and IRAs, but most people don't know that you can be a, a real estate investor without being a real estate landlord and having to do all the work yourself. Uh, most people, a lot of people don't have the time. They don't have the the knowledge. They don't have the desire <laughs> to, to take on all those roles uh, and, and to deal with the stress directly. So 
that's where that's what Onward Equity is for now is to try to share with others that that opportunity exists, that path exists from an investing standpoint to diversify and uh, get some pretty pretty nice returns as well. You know, projected returns, nothing's guaranteed, <laughs> uh, but it's a, a way to just diversify a little bit out of the the standard stock market. And when you, um, you know, I know when you're doing real estate investing yourself, it, you know, a lot of it, a lot, like obviously there's a return on your investment generally um, if things go according to plan, but you also get big tax write-offs in real estate. One of the big, you know, reasons people jump into real estate. Do you get those as a limited partner when you're involved in a syndication deal? Absolutely. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the best the best reasons I, in my mind that real estate in general makes sense because you just don't get tax incentives really with most any other time of type of investment. Um, as a limited partner, you are an equity owner of the real estate of the asset, whatever it is. And which means you get uh, the full tax benefits of your share, your portion of that, um, of those benefits. So a lot of times what it in real life, what it ends up being, it feels you might be getting quarterly distributions for years. Uh, but from a tax perspective, it's going to feel like it's tax free because you get a whole lot of depreciation. Uh, that's the magic <laughs> in, in real estate. You get depreciation expense uh, against your, your earnings. Um, you can tell the IRS you lost money, even though money's going in your bank account every quarter. Um, right. so that's, that's the, the great thing I think about it. And, and like I said, it can make it feel like it's tax-free income that you're getting. Now, the reality is that at some point you got to, you got to pay the piper, right? Your, your taxes are going to be due, but it's usually years down the road. Um, maybe when you sell the property and at that point, there's, there are several things that you can do as well to kind of continue kicking that tax can down the road to, uh, to continue enjoying what feels like tax-free income. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, um, that's probably beyond the scope of this podcast to get into 1031 <laughs> sure. other things you can do to, um, you know, to alleviate, or like you said, kick those things down the road. And I'm, my mind has been blown in the last few years, like being around people that are, you know, that have, I, like, I've just learned about trusts and how, you know, it's just crazy. Once you, once you have a little bit of money of how you can make it grow and, you know, stave off taxes and, and some of those different things, it's, it's kind of crazy, but that's really cool that you get that, um, you know, that benefit as part being part of a syndication. And, um, and honestly, like this, this, this actually sounds more like up my alley of rather than like getting back into the hands-on piece of, um, doing something like this, what would be, uh, I know you can't like, you know, say exactly like what returns are and they're always, um, projections, but what's some of the typical returns if you get, and, and a syndication, you know, it's, it's years, right? Like you're talking three to five to 10 years, you know, up front you're going to be in it for a little while. What are, what are some typical returns for investors? Uh, in that? Sure. And you're exactly right. Uh, everyone knows, uh, so the general partners are, are tasked with kind of defining the business plan, uh, whatever that is, and then certainly presenting that to potential partners or investors up front. So everyone knows it in advance kind of what the at least the original business plan is. And it's generally like a three to five year plan or five to seven year plan, something like that. 
And um, what that would look like is most likely quarterly distributions uh, that would come out of the, the operating cash flows to the extent that, you know, rents exceed expenses that would be shared with the partners, with the owners. And uh, that includes the, the limited partner and passive investors. Um, and, and you're right. As I said, as, as you said, that uh, nothing's ever guaranteed. It's real life. Uh, so we never can, can know exactly what we're getting into. But uh, if, if something doesn't, during the underwriting process, during the, the diligence process, if, if it doesn't look like it's going to give at least a, roughly a 15 or 16% uh, rate of return for investors, uh, then it's really not even considered. It's um, it's not worth our time because it we want to be able to go out there, present that to investors of, hey, this is something that uh, is good for you in a lot of ways. Uh, it's got good returns. It's also going to diversify a little bit from from what your most likely current holdings are from an investment standpoint. Um, so overall, from a start to finish business plan, uh, roughly a say fifteen to sixteen percent. Um, average annual return um, over the course of that business plan is what's projected. Uh, and then from a like a quarterly standpoint or yearly standpoint, roughly six to seven percent. Uh, it's called cash on cash, but it means that's the amount that you would pre be projected to get in cash flow uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, so if someone invests a hundred thousand uh, in theory, you know, they'd get roughly six to $7,000 annually in quarterly distributions. Uh, and then the biggest cool. chunk is certainly when the biggest chunk of the return is on the back end when it's, when it's sold. Right. Yeah, that's great. So, um, if people are interested in learning more, they can go to onward equity.com and, um, I suppose, connect with you on there, see how the process works. I see you wrote an <clears> ebook and, um, some of that kind of stuff. Any Anything else that um, you'd like to say to the listeners? Uh, just anything I didn't ask you about or, you know, anything that, that you'd like to share? Um, I, I love the concept of the podcast because it's uh, business and mission and adventure. Those are all things that those are kind of my core tenets of, <laughs> of who I am. So they all kind of feed off of yeah. each other and, and make the other possible. Um, I just think it's been great. You know, what I do professionally is, is, is feeding, uh, the excitement that I have for being able to give back to others through the sun foundation. That's an incredible. Uh, I think it's been a benefit benefit to others, to the guests that we've had stay there, but it's been so beneficial for us as, as those on, you know, this side of, of running the organization. So I'd say, uh, anybody that can kind of take what they love to do and turn it into something that can benefit others as well, man. That's so powerful, uh, for, for all parties involved. Um, uh, and just to circle around to the end of the conversation, yes, onward equity, if anyone's interested in learning a little bit more about what that could be, uh, for them, uh, onward hyphen equity, like you said.com is, is the website. And I did write an ebook that I just top 10 reasons that I think it makes sense to be consider being a limited partner. And that's, yeah. If it's working correctly, that'll be a pop-up when you visit the website that'll ask if, if you like a copy of that. And I encourage people to check that out if it resonates at all uh, with you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Scott. It was really fun uh, having you on the podcast and opening my eyes a little bit to this uh, 
<clears throat> limited partner investing, something I never really thought of uh, before, but um, hopefully I, I have a problem with cash as my business continues to grow and I uh, need to dump it off into, into something like uh, a real estate syndication. But love hearing your story about uh, the Sun Foundation and what you're doing. And uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. I had a blast. Appreciate it. BAM School, facilitating a global self-funding disciple-making movement through business. Thanks for tuning in to the BAM School podcast. Find show notes, free courses, resources, and more at forbam.com.